So let's pray. Father, um, Jesus, Holy Spirit, I ask you that you would take your word and apply to each heart the specific message that you want that person to receive. In Jesus' name, amen. So about a month or so ago, maybe, I don't know, five or six weeks ago, whatever it was, we were on a family vacation down in Florida, and um, I'm not great with, like, the cotton candy kind of conversations, you know, and whatever. Um, and so we were sitting around the night before the last evening we were there, and I don't know exactly, it was a God thing, really. I mean, we started getting on questions. And, you know, Dare referenced, I fly around the world a lot, do a lot of big transactions and whatever. Um, and as part of that, I've had the privilege over many years to interview a lot of really smart and talented, frankly, people a lot smarter than I am, young people. And as I hired them as part of three big global investment banks and whatnot, um, these kids, most of them came from the top six schools in the United States, you know, so Harvard, Stanford, Princeton, Yale, Chicago, wherever. And um, really, really talented. And I always would tell them, I said, you know, hey, congratulations, you got into a school that I probably could not have gotten into. Great. Oh, by the way, you know nothing. Because you're a cost center to me the day I hire you, not a revenue center. So just un let's all let's set the table straight here. But I was like interview number 11 or 12 they would have out of a lot of other people. And so I began asking them. I would always ask them non-interview kind of questions, right? Not the, you know, tell me what you did and blah, 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 your greatest experiences and whatever. And so as we sat there at vacation the night before the end, um, for some reason I started asking these questions of my own family. And so this morning, I'd like you to take your phone out or your pen out or whatever you want. I'm going to ask you three questions. And we're going to spend a lot of time in the Word this morning. As always, I believe that the Word is what really cuts to the heart. It's not great stories. It's not my, you know, wonderful, you know, whatever, words and wordsmithing. So from that perspective, I did want to ask you, though, three quick questions. The first one is, who are you? Okay. Who are you? Let's be honest and vulnerable with God. And so you have the opportunity to ask yourself the first question, which is pick three words, doesn't matter, noun, verb, adjective, adverb, don't care, that best depict who you are. Who are you? Just find three words. And by the way, this is a little bit like, you know, the Malcolm Gladwell blink book. Right? Don't try to overthink it. Don't try to like, oh, let me make the words great words and whatever. You know, who are you? Three words. Okay? Next question. Pick one word that best depicts your greatest strength in life. If you had to say, this is who I am, and this is, if you had to, you know, literally boil my whole life down to one single word that is my greatest strength, it's whatever. And the other question, last question, what is my single greatest weakness? What word would best depict that weakness that you know is you? And this is between you and God, right? So we asked that question, and we went around the room, and we answered these questions with each other. And it was actually incredibly life-producing. You know, we spent about three hours just talking with each other, and it frankly made us much better able to pray for each other. What are your strengths? Who do you really believe you are? And then how does that come about into what God has for you in your life? So if you have your Bible, well, first of all, if you look at these three questions, Genesis 1.26 says, let's make man in our image 
in our likeness. And Psalms 139, for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. So that strength, you know, the challenges you have, those aren't accidents, okay? That is, you are designed from the DNA of the Father himself in who you are. We're going to read 1 Corinthians 13, so if you would, please turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 13. Usually this is the chapter, obviously, that everybody only hears whenever someone's getting married. Um, but we want to look at it, especially in a little more depth. 1 Corinthians 13 says, I'm going to read the whole chapter. If I speak with the tongue of men, tongues of men and of angels, but I do not have love, I've become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, is not jealous, does not brag, and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they'll be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, they'll be done away with. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child. I thought like a child, reasoned like a child. And when I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will, be, I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known. But now faith, hope, love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. So 1 Corinthians 13, 13. But now faith, hope, love abide these three. Greek word abide there means to remain or to agree, right? And what I would share with you is that these three concepts or words or activities or parts of your life, faith, hope, and love, build on each other. They're not mutually exclusive. So as you think about that, are there other parts of Scripture that talk about this? So the three great pursuits of our life with God, 1 Thessalonians 1, 3 also shares, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith, labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Thess- Thessalonians 5, 8, but since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and, and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. So you see that the concept of these building on themselves is something very consistent in Scripture. So, God's design for the abundant life really does encompass these three things in a unique way. Faith, hope, and love. So, you can look at them and say, okay, well, how how do they come together? How do they agree together? And why does the Scripture say that love is the greatest? Out of the three, love is the only one that's inter- that is truly eternal. You won't have to have faith in heaven. You won't have to have hope in heaven. But you will have love. Love is the single greatest characteristic God applies toward himself. So the question that I asked myself a few months ago, does love 
Is love an occupying characteristic of my life? And by the way, we're going to talk about love. We're going to define each of these. Not just the love of, okay, I love my wife, I love my kids. Okay, great. The scriptures talk a lot about, you know, if you love somebody that loves you, congratulations. That's pretty earthy, not too supernatural. But even then, to really have supernatural love for my spouse or my family isn't something that just comes about in the normal characteristic of life. So, faith. The Greek word for faith here is pistis, or patho is a Greek word, persuaded or come to trust. It's a divine gift from God. Divine persuasion is distinct from human belief, right? In the church, many times, if you've grown up in the church a lot, you'd hear people say, well, just, you know, have more faith. Increase your faith, right? Just step up, right? You can't do that. It is a gift from God. Now, I do believe that you can prepare the soil of your heart better to receive faith. Right? That's something we can do. But faith in the end is a true gift from God. In secular Greek antiquity, this word for faith referred to a guarantee or a warranty. So one definition I read was, faith is in the end God's warranty that guarantees the fulfillment of the revelation he births within the receptive believer. By the way, all these slides will be on the website if you're interested. So, in the end, faith really is truly supernatural. You can't just gin up more faith in your life. If you look at the scriptures, Romans 12, 3, For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. Ephesians 2, 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Luke 17, 5, his apostles said, Lord, increase our faith. They asked God for that. Hebrews 11, 1 and 6, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, and without faith it's impossible to please him. 1 John 5, 4, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. So faith in the end is the building block. It's the foundation for everything. I would share with you, I don't think you can have hope if you don't have faith. And you certainly can't have love if you don't have faith. God's love. So, let's move to the next word, hope. So hope in the Greek word here is elpis, or elpizio is a group, the root word. It means joyful and confident expectation of good, or the expectation of something sure and certain. Hope also must come from God. Romans 15, 13, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So understand, you're probably getting the connotation here, what I'm talking about isn't the Hollywood framework of love or of hope, frankly, or of even faith. But it's really, so what do the scriptures say? The scriptures say that hope, again, is a divine gift from God to you. To have hope, it is given to you from the Lord. 1 Thessalonians 2.16 says, Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort, and he gave you good hope. Hebrews 10.23, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope 
without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Hebrews 3, 6, but Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are, if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end. Now, you ever met a believer that you saw was just full of hope? If you have, it's rare. Yesterday, we had the memorial service here in town for a guy that was a friend of Melissa and I's for many years. His name was Dwight Kramer. Dwight passed on at 72 years old, very young. Younger every day as I get older. But uh, Dwight was one of those people. He was one of those people that when you saw him, he just exuded hope. Hope for you, by the way. So his divine hope that he had even applied for your life. Dwight constantly looked in people for the treasure of the gift God had put in them. So how many of you grew up candidly hearing a lot more what was wrong with you than what was right with you? Okay. Very common characteristic. It's the nature of man, I believe, to find the flaw, right? You look at something and you can see 10 things up there and one of them isn't right. What does your eye immediately go to? The one that isn't right. That makes sense, right? In the end, what I want to share with you this morning is that this issue of faith, of your bedrock belief, a gift from the Lord, of knowing him and also knowing who you are in him is incredibly critically important. And then on that is built hope. And above that, love. So, you think about love, the word used here is agape, which we've all heard about. Obviously, you've heard probably many sermons. As Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? Phileo love, agape love, etc. But let's define it a little further. It's completely the unconditional acceptance, favor, and preference toward you. Love in agape form, it's a love that loves without changing. It's a self-giving love that gives without demanding or expecting repayment. It is a love so great that it can be given to the unlovable or unappealing. It is a love that loves even when it is rejected. Agape love gives and loves because it wants to. It does not love in order to receive. It believes the best. It means the actual absorbing of our being in one great passion. The word has little to do with emotion. It has much to do with self-denial for the sake of another. So that kind of love can only be given by the Lord. Dwight Kramer exhibited that. And so yesterday afternoon for three hours, you know, we left before the end. They had a memorial service about this man's life. 15, 16 people spoke. All of his kids, five kids. All of his kids' spouses, which I thought was really interesting, spoke at his memorial service. And what every single person, the common thread that you would weave through their testimony about this man was the deep abiding love of God you felt when you were in his presence. So, the question I asked myself was, Mark, you know, you fly around, you see a lot of smart people, you do some transactions, blah, blah, blah. Do you really love any of these people? Not really. I didn't really feel that. And so the question I asked myself yesterday, watching a, at the very, toward the end, they had about a 20 or 25 minute video of this man's whole life. And so if you stop and ask yourself, what if they put the life you have to date, to this very moment, 
on a screen. Not the, you know, the one you used to hear when you got scared as a, the preacher was hellfinding brimstone at you. You know, they're going to put it up on the screen and you're going to, you know, one of those. But rather, the good things, because I believe that's what Jesus remembers. Think about Hebrews 11. Did he say, and Abraham, of course, you lied that she was your sister when you got in trouble? No, right? Sarah, did they say, you know, well, you, you know, laughed when you said you were going to have a baby? No. It depicts and records the best about you. Dwight Kramer saw in every person that I believe he engaged the best in them. He was a dentist in Cookville, Tennessee. And so on this video, 20, 25 minutes, you've got a lot of people. He had his receptionist at a dental office. He had his partner that he was a partner in his dental practice with for 40 years. And you had patients that would say, this man loved me. He saw me. He prayed for me. He saw the treasure of what God put in me, not picking all the flaws of what I've done wrong or decisions that I made that I probably should have done something differently. And that agape love, that deep abiding love is something you can only get from God. But once you have it, how do you give it away? So, if you think about these quick questions, do I really love? John 13, 35, Jesus obviously said, by this will all men know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. That's agape love, guys. Not, you know, yeah, I was nice and I paid for their lunch once or I, you know, went over and helped them move. Those are all great things. Those show love. Is that agape love? Probably more phileo love, Right? 1 John 4, 8 says, The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. John 15, 12, This is my commandment, that you love one another. Matthew 22, 36 to 40, they asked Jesus, What is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said, To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the first greatest commandment. The second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. On this, everything hangs. Okay? So I thought it was interesting. Jesus obviously took them out of the do's and don'ts list. Right? And said, okay, but what's a really heart motive here? But even at that, he also knew, and God knew, you and I can't meet that requirement either. We can't even love the way he asks us to love. So, 1 John 4, 10 to 13, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the complete and full payment for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. The love you have is perfected by you walking it out. So, if you think about this love, the reason why I asked Darren to put together that video about being flawless is that you will never be able to give away agape love if you've never received agape love. Receiving the complete unconditional love of your heavenly father through Jesus' payment for you. That what does he see you as? Who does he see in you? He sees the treasure. He sees Jesus when he looks at you. You're robed in his righteousness. You're seated in the heavenlies with Christ Jesus. 
You've been given everything that, that you need for life and godliness, right? He loves you. He sees the best in you. So, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that you can become, you are, the righteousness of God in Christ. Luke 7, 47, the story of when Jesus came into the house and the Pharisees were sitting there asking him a lot of tough questions, and the woman came in who they knew was a sinner and poured the expensive perfume on him. And with the tears of her eyes and her hair, wiped his feet. And he told them all, If you, you will love little if you've been forgiven little. You will love much if you've been forgiven much. The reality is we have all been forgiven much. And I know it used to be tough sometimes for some people that grew up in a church. Or they, had, they grew up in a Christian family. That's awesome. That's great. So maybe they didn't have quite as long of a list of, you know, tra- train wrecks in their life. So they kind of looked at it, if it, was, if it was a railroad track, you know, going toward God, I didn't get that far off the track, right? I became a Christian when I'm four or something and all that stuff. That's awesome. So they sort of depict and be always struggle a little bit with, well, you know, I wasn't that far off the track. No, we were all radically off the track because nobody was close, Right? Black, dark, sin, judgment, hell, or complete righteousness, forgiveness, acceptance, peace, joy. You can think of faith in some ways as the characteristic in these three, the bedrock you have toward God. Hope is a bedrock of what you believe about your own life. Do you have hope for your life? And love is really the actions you have toward others. So, this next slide is a bit of an eye chart. There you go. Nope. Yeah. So, I've depicted on here, there's about 20 scriptures that go through God's love for you. And if you'll bear with me, I'm actually going to read several of them. You'll know some of the verses, some of them you may not. But what I would like you to do is to allow the scripture just to wash over you. Close your eyes if you want, do what you want, but just allow God's word to embed deep in you how much he loves you. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son for whoever believes in him that they should not perish but have eternal life. But God shows his love toward us and that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And this is the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered, so do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we would be called children of God, and so we are. For I know the plans for you. 
declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. The Lord your God is in your midst, a victorious warrior. He will exult over you with joy. He will be quiet in his love. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. Since you are precious in my sight, since you are honored and I love you, I will give other men in your place and other peoples in exchange for your life. Behold, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have drawn you with loving kindness. So that is how much God loves you. Receive that love. So the last question I have for you, how will God show his love through me to the world? So let's go back to the very beginning. When I ask you to write you know, those three words, who you are, what is your greatest strength? What's your greatest challenge? And what I tell you is Ephesians 4.8 says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives. He gave gifts to men. Again, you are in the DNA of your Father in heaven. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards for the manifold grace of God. What I would share with you is that the dominant trait that God has put in your life is probably going to be one of the keys through which he shares his love for the world and for others. Whatever that is. So, be encouraged. As you look at your life, think of the faith that you have. The faith of knowing who you are in Christ. You are righteous. You are robed in him. He sees his son when he looks at you. Have hope. How does that translate into your life? All the issues that you face, the challenges that you have. Is there an overriding divine supernatural hope that you hang on to constantly? And lastly, love. So, if they play that 20 or 25 minute video of your life, you want it to exhibit the fact you love people. In the end, that's the only thing that will remain. So faith, hope, and love, these are the three. The greatest of these is love. And as you think about these scriptures, and I encourage you, you know, go through that. Read them to yourself. I heard one guy say recently that, he encouraged people to have a Jesus break during the day. I was like, what, what does that mean? So people take a break, you know, for coffee, take a break for whatever, you know, reasons they need to. But the reality is, if you stop during the day and just allow yourself for 60 to 90 seconds or five minutes or whatever, just to be loved by God and just... Let yourself be completely consumed in seeing and understanding what he, what he believes about you. He loves you. And it is that love, it is that faith, the hope that you have, that then can be translated into love for others. Thank you, Jeremy.